people will say, well, what makes a successful entrepreneur? And it's honestly, it's just tenacity. It's just the ability to move forward, you know, no matter what kind of gets thrown your way. Um, nobody's perfect. Nobody has the answers to everything. I, like I said, I don't know how to sew things. I just know what I like and I know what I could imagine to be the perfect thing to wear. And, and I can guarantee you this nine times out of 10, even someone who studied fashion design would say, Oh, I'm not ready. I don't know how to run my own business. I can't create an apparel line. So that's just that negative self-talk. And I honestly think the way to trump that is to just keep putting one foot in front of the other and not being afraid to like make mistakes. Hi guys, we're your hosts, Jillian and Kaylin, and this is Teach Me How to Adult, a podcast on all the things you never learned growing up, like how to buy a home, manage stress, crush your love life, land your dream job, and how to love yourself more, because we could all be a little kinder to ourselves. We're still figuring out how to get our shit together, so we're calling in the experts and the hustlers for some real talk and legit tips on how to live your best life. Adulting isn't easy, but we got you. Hi, friends. We are so pumped about this week's episode because we chatted with Ashley Freeborn, the founder and CEO of the renowned fashion brand Smash and Tess, about all things brand building, entrepreneurship, using fear to fuel your fire, and tapping your network to help you get your idea off the ground. It's a good one. And you've probably seen people rocking Ashley's rompers on Instagram or heard about her epic collabs with Jillian Harris, Sarah Landry of the Birds Papaya, and Hilary Duff, who has literally been my idol since I was 13. Literally, Kaylin <laughs> is obsessed with her. <laughs> and that's just to name a few. Her brand started the hashtag Romper Revolution, and she's honestly so inspiring and just a total ray of sunshine. You're going to love this chat. And here's why we honed in on Smash and Test for today's episode. Ashley isn't a serial entrepreneur or a longtime business or fashion mogul. She just had an idea to fill a gap in the market and she made her dream a reality, which is so inspiring. And what she created is so much more than a clothing company. It's a community, it's a lifestyle brand, it's an inclusive brand that empowers women to just live their best lives and it brings people together. It's true. And I think one of the biggest takeaways from this episode, too, is that Smash and Test focuses so much on community and just really understanding who their customers are. So not only from the standpoint of what they like to wear, but also how they like to be communicated to. And she has an epic example of that in this episode. So if you want to learn more about the power of collaborating with your audience, keep listening. So our biggest question going into this interview was knowing when it's time to go all in on your dream or to pursue an idea that you can't stop thinking about. And the best example we personally have is just our experience starting this podcast and then turning it into a business. And for us, it all started with an idea of just wanting to connect with like-minded women who are all just trying to figure this whole adulting thing out and who are really just trying to level up in every facet of their lives. So when we thought of turning it into a podcast, we just couldn't stop thinking about it or talking about it, really. And our passion for the idea was impossible to ignore. It, it's literally all we talked about. Yeah, <laughs> it, it like consumed us. And that's when you know, like if, it, if you can't ignore it and if it's just consuming you, you gotta, yeah. you gotta do something with it. Like that's... There's something there. Undeniable. So we spent almost a year coming up with the podcast format and our branding, our brand DNA, our dream guests, and batch recording the first bunch of episodes so that we had a backlog of content to launch with. And we learned that treating your idea like it is a goddamn multinational corporation is just the best way to get taken seriously from the get-go. Like we went all in on the branding and the social strategy and the podcast research and the equipment so that we could launch with something we were really proud of. There was no soft launch. Like we really just tried from the get-go to treat this like our corporation. And we also learned that sometimes you just have to launch before you're ready. We... I truly believe would have kept planning forever and never actually launched if we didn't commit to some hard deadlines that we had to meet, which I think was just like tax season. So we just had to hit that deadline. So sometimes you just have to jump before you're ready. Otherwise, you will just plan until you die. So just just start. Just go. And also, this totally reminds me of one of those inspirational quotes that went viral on Instagram a while ago. If you're tired, rest. Don't quit. That was so huge for us because when things got really overwhelming and we came kind of close to letting this whole thing go, we just, we took a break, we rested, we regrouped, we reevaluated on how we could show up better for our audience and for ourselves. 
we analyzed how we were spending our time and what was giving us the biggest ROI for our brand and for all of our efforts. And then we cut anything that wasn't key and that was just sucking up our time. So if you're going through that same thing right now, take that time to just evaluate, go through Mm -hmm. every way that you spend your time on your idea or your business and see what's working and what is just wasting your time and then recalibrate. But don't just give up because thank God we didn't. As soon as we re-energized and relaunched, all of the best things started happening. It's like we turned a corner and we were like, no, we were committed. And then shit fell into place for us. Totally. And I I think that to that point there's two things that can kind of make or break you from pursuing your side hustle there's number one being too scared to start or just being stuck in that kind of planning phase that we were doing a little bit oh my god are you drinking wine sorry (laughs) i love you sorry (laughs) i'm gonna keep that in you just took a big swig of red wine you friggin boss where was i i'm so sorry anyways (laughs) she's thirsty (laughs) she's thirsty the key to getting through it is red wine red wine ladies and gentlemen that is the answer to life's problems just kidding it's hard work and and rest and some red wine (laughs) anyways the the key things that can sort of make or break your side hustle number one being too scared to start or like we were just saying getting too caught up in that planning phase and never Mm -hmm. actually launching and more to come on how to channel fear if that's what's holding you back in this interview with Ashley and then number two is just burning yourself out to the point where you give up because it's just not fun anymore and and you're you're spent so I think the answer to number two and you kind of touched on this too is either outsourcing what you can asking for help from friends or family like if you have a small you know Etsy shop or retail business and you need help sending out packages Bring your friends over, pour them some wine, make them help you. Like yeah. there, there are ways you can do it very cost effectively. Another thing is reevaluating what's actually moving the needle. Like you said, like what can you scale back on? And then just pivoting things to make it work within your current lifestyle or deciding to go all in. And I mean, we both work nine to fives in our regular lives and we've got, you know, entertainment and media jobs. So it's pretty demanding. So we squeeze this podcast in where we can in our few spare hours in the nights and weekends. But switching up our release schedule to be a little bit more flexible and outsourcing, you know, really technical tasks that we don't have a strong background in has really helped us balance. A hundred percent. And I think if you find that that thing that's fueling you just doesn't become fun anymore or that spark behind it is gone, like you need to make some changes to get it back or the business, it's going to suffer. Yeah, that's a really good point. If we hadn't made changes, I don't think that, you know, we'd, we'd be here doing this podcast right now. So it's it's okay to reevaluate and recalibrate. That's a, a huge thing. These like businesses and ideas are always evolving. So don't be scared to pivot totally. as you need to. And I also think it's just really important to get clear on whether you're pursuing your venture for money or for some other fulfilling mm-hmm. reason, just like a passion project. I have a lot of like passion projects that I do outside of work or a lot of time that I spend on my own own work that aren't tied to any monetary value and honestly they'd probably be ruined if they were like I think there's just some things in my life that I do that if it became a paid thing I would lose my joy for it but I still treat them as important ventures that that I want to devote time to and effort to whereas with our podcast side hustle for example now that monetization has come into play, there's a shift in priorities. There's a lot of responsibilities and you just have to learn to balance that alongside your full-time job unless you decide to go all in and then, you know, figure out if you are going to go all in on your side hustle, make sure you know what your risk threshold is. Be sure that you weigh the pros and cons financially and mentally for you and for your family and evaluate, can you take on debt? How much emergency savings have you banked? And will you be okay without a, a weekly or a bi-weekly stable income? And if you say yes to all of those things, then like get after it. You got this. And (laughs) if you're not there yet, that's okay. You don't need to give up. You just need to figure out a way to make it work on the side. Yeah. I I think for me, my comfort barometer is if my side hustle can match or come close to my nine to five income and just provide me with, you know, a comfortable wage that I can support my, my lifestyle and my family. But until then, We rise and grind, friends. So keep pursuing your ideas and take care of yourself along the way because we all know burnout is not fun. 
And Ashley's a big advocate for making sure her and her team have the right support in place to prevent burnout because you just can't perform your best if you're burning from both ends. Mm -hmm. So if you are feeling a little weathered down from the grind, listen back to episode 30 where we drop some really helpful tips on how to recover from and prevent burnout. But we are not the experts, so we called in Ashley Freeborn. Ashley is a fellow Canadian who worked as a teacher and then in the finance sector before going all in on her passion project, Smash and Tess. Smash and Tess has since grown from two employees to a team of over 40 in just five years. And in 2020, the company achieved a 66% year-over-year growth, surpassing 16.5 million in sales. It's crazy. And as CEO, Ashley oversees everything from designing to financial planning to dreaming up fun and creative marketing campaigns. She's passionate about creating clothing that celebrates femininity, strength, style, and comfort in women of all shapes and sizes. In 2020, Ashley was also named one of Canada's top 40 under 40. She led Smash and Test through their biggest growth year and was listed in the Globe and Mail's top growth companies in 2020, being the number one woman-led company on the list. We are not kidding when we say she is a total boss and we just adore her and everything she does for her community. Teach us how to grow a business through a kick-ass community, Ashley. Tell us about how you made the decision to switch gears from being an educator in your past life to pursue your own company with Smash and Test. Like what inspired you to chase your dreams and how did you make that leap? For me, it wasn't like I was, I decided one day I was going to be an entrepreneur. I always loved community. So I think being a teacher to me felt like I had a really amazingly privileged, beautiful role to create connection and learning and, you know, just relationships and memories and all of those things. So that's why I wanted to get into teaching was to make a really positive impact. And so when um, we started Smash and Test, it was more so because I felt there was a real void in the marketplace for not only like super cute and comfortable clothes, but also like really a mission-focused, purpose-driven business that could disrupt the fashion industry and that you know could do good. And so, you know, Smash and Test was really built on that same commitment to community, but in such a different way, in such a different industry. But of course, when I started Smashing Test, I really didn't know it was going to take off in the way that it did. And I don't know if anyone ever really knows that. So it was more so started just because I wanted to help fix the problem. I wanted to create something unique and not only that, but like a a lifestyle and like a, a really strong community of women uplifting women. So that's really what, what sparked all of it for me. And was it hard for you to actually make that jump though and leave your teaching job because I'm sure like you loved your students it was pretty structured and then to go into you know it was a bit convoluted for me because actually I was a teacher and then I had a job offer and it was actually in finance it was something entirely different and I often credit that to being able to start smash and test because if I was teaching would have been really hard because teaching is like your whole life is governed by bells I was able to actually have the space and freedom to to ideate and create and like compartmentalize my time better. And so that's really, I credit that sort of leap from from teaching into a, a business career as really being like the the catalyst. But I actually had this like short shift in my career. And it was really hard when I took that leap. I think in the back of my head, I knew that this would allow me the freedom to like really get my business off the ground. And so... I had to take that leap, but then the bigger leap was when I decided to go all in on smash and test. And that was the moment where I remember because I would work infinitely, like what, however many hours I needed to get a job done. I love working as long as I love what I'm doing. But when I had my daughter, I was like, Oh, I can't, I actually can't (laughs) physically do my career, my business and my baby. Like it was like, this is crazy. And I always know when it's time for a change because I get really overwhelmed. I definitely was like, I'm tapping out. I can't, I just, I physically don't have enough hours in a day. Um, and my mom gave me really great advice because she's the test to my smash. And that was like, Ash, just think about all you could do if you were just all in, like it's already doing so well. Imagine if you just put all of yourself into it. 
she's not here to hear me, which is great because I hate saying it to her, but she was right. She was very right. So <laughs> that was the leap. And it was a long time coming. And I probably could have taken the leap a year before I did. But I just was so scared. It's a scary thing to leave your, you know, secure job and all of a sudden, like, eat what you kill, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. true. I quit my job, I guess, like a year and a half ago now. Wow, time is crazy. Just to go full freelance and try, try to kind of build my own thing. But it was a really hard decision to make. But I also just felt like I can't just keep building like a dream that's not my own and pouring so much of myself into something yes. that at the end of the day is like a bit thankless. So eventually, you yes. know, something's kind of got to give because I couldn't do all the things I was trying to do at once and a corporate job. And it's an yeah. endless cycle. For sure. Yeah, I think you kind of tap, you just kind of tap out, right? You're like, and we're done. Like, it's like you literally almost don't have a choice anymore because <laughs> you feel it with your whole being that this is just is not right anymore and you have yeah. to make a change. A hundred percent. So could you walk us through the process of conceiving of Smash and Tests, all like through the logistics of launching, the scoop on pitching, funding, manufacturing, production, marketing? Like all, all of the things. Yeah. Yeah, like what was that journey? Uh, do you guys have three like? hours here? I'll just kind of just, yes. I got a flow chart. I'm just kidding. This is actually, a, <laughs> this is a master class and you were teaching it. <laughs> yes. Oh man, I was not prepared. I don't have my PowerPoint ready or anything. No, like I conceived of it with my mom, but it was, it was more like I was teaching. I went away. I had like an ugly breakup. And I decided to take my summer off teaching to go to Condé Nast College of Fashion and Design in London. Vogue had their very first summer intensive. So I took the idea there, but I actually was, wanted to create a pajama um, store. Mm. The first class was like, um, don't open up brick and mortar. I was like, cool. Okay. My whole concept <laughs> of being here, down the toilet. But what I realized was, is I was actually really most excited about creating a house brand anyway. So I was like, let's pivot and go into that. So the business plan was a couple of years in the making, started really there. But a lot of people don't necessarily, we didn't have a romper in our first collection. So people think that we started the romper revolution right from the beginning. And in fact, that's not what happened at all. We were much more in the florals and romantic vibes and a lot of more of a pajama focus. And my best friend, when I got recruited for this position in Los Angeles, I had to bring her into the mix because I was like, I'm not going to live here anymore and kind of just started this business and I kind of need someone to help me because I'm not going to be here. So enter my best friend Mercedes right before we launched our first collection. And so the three of us co-owned Smash and Tess. And when we went to market, it was all floral. We built the website and we we're like, okay, and so, you know, and I was like, wait, <laughs> Are people going to come? Like, what's going to happen? And finding production was really hard in the beginning, too, because if you're in apparel, you know it's like you need someone to create your clothes, but they don't really want to create your clothes if you don't have a decent amount of quantity. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to produce locally in Canada, so that was also part of, like, our ethos, and we wanted to make sure we could really, like, oversee it, ensure people were getting paid fairly, ensure, like, working conditions were great. So it was really a bit of a blunder, to be honest, in the beginning, it was really when, and I say it's such a team effort because it was when Mercedes got brought on and there was more than just like one head in the game, but multiple people's heads in the games that we were able to secure local production for our first fall collection, which was our second collection. Because when we launched, yes, we had a brand. We, we had spent a lot of time on our brand building blocks. We knew exactly who we were. We knew exactly what we stood for. We knew what we wanted to create. And it was so much more than just a clothing line. But we realized, too, the aesthetic could shift, you know? It's not really about the aesthetic. It's more about, like, what we, what we stand for mm-hmm. and what, we, what we're here to actually do for people. Like, what is the service we are providing that is so uniquely us, you know? And how does that add value to people's lives? Um, so the brand building blocks we started with from the beginning, and we haven't to this day wavered from those brand building blocks. But it was the first fall collection that we had a romper and it was the Sunday romper and if you're in apparel it's funny because like you'll do like multiple samples like whether you're tweaking a pocket or like you don't like the V or like whatever there's lots and lots and I and remember I hadn't knew nothing about making clothes nothing yeah. this was nothing I never had an education in it I can stitch like a hole that's about it <laughs> I can put a button on but the Sunday romper came in and it was perfect it was 
like the first perfect sample we'd ever received. I still think that was like a meant to be moment. I noticed like people really loved it. That's what people wanted to buy. It's what people were talking about. And then I think um, Miss Jillian Harris wore it for the first time. And then we like sold out overnight. Wow. And it was in this big moment of like this aha moment of like, okay, I can keep doing what I said it, that I thought I was going to do, which was create pajamas, or I can listen to this outpour of people who love this item and we can pivot real hard and real fast and go hard into the romper revolution. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. And really the brand and like the story has taken on its own life. It's been really a dialogue with our community. It's been a hugely collaborative process, whether it's with collaborators like Jill or Sarah or Hillary, or whether it's been with our community and like listening, what colors, what styles, what necklines. Um, and it's evolved into this thing that I think we all call our own. And really it's, it's, it's turned on the head sort of what the fashion industry has done, which is decades and decades and decades of making you feel really badly about yourself. Yeah. Um, and instead, mm -hmm. I don't know, making people feel good about themselves and their very own skin and, and, and every day. And, and you don't have to be a certain weight or size or shape or any of it. Um, because we make clothes that fit you and not the other way around. Hell yes. I love that. And you flipped on its head the idea that like fashion has historically dictated what people have to do. And it's yeah. like, these are the fashion rules. These, yeah. This is what's in season and that is not in season. And you guys have created, as you said, a dialogue where you're not dictating to anyone. They're telling your audience, your community is telling you what they like and you're creating with them, which is so refreshing. 100%. That was in our business plan. It was literally said like that because it was like for, for years we've been told what to wear by Fashion's Elite. You know, like people, the editors of Vogue, the whatever, the labels have been telling us what to wear. And actually, why not create something that is based on what people want and need that is available at the click of a button regardless of season. Um, you can wear it, you know. And what I think is super cool about it is it took a long time time for people to see it that like we all knew it if you were a smash and test fam member you knew it but like it took a while to get like finally Vogue wrote about us finally and I was like yeah because I was like we're disrupting the heck I was gonna swear the heck out of you swear away um, and I love it anyways yeah so like I love that it's finally like we're gracing the pages of fashion of Vogue of you know, all of these magazines and like being, I think it's just because enough people speak about something, it becomes the thing, you know, and it's like, why? And I mean, the pandemic too, I think we've all reimagined what fashion looks and feels like. And my, like a, my friend Sarah, when we were doing that podcast, she was like, I don't want to put hard pants on again. And I was like, I love the term hard <laughs> yes. pants, stealing it. And also me neither, never going to wear them again <laughs> because... They make me feel bad about myself, honestly. Hard they don't make good. me feel good. Or sometimes they make me feel good, but then what does that say? My self-worth right. is dependent on the genes yeah. that can fit or not fit, you know? Yeah. Kind of sucks. Yeah. That's my biggest takeaway. Well, one of my biggest takeaways from this pandemic is like, fuck hard pants. I'm not down in structured yes. pants. Like, uh, and I, I think we're going to steal hard pants. Yeah, <laughs> that's really good. I just never want to like squeeze myself into something that makes me feel like shit again. I, just, there, I have no yes. no room for it. Like never again. And why? And if you never had to, you'd never really know, would you? I, you'd be like, oh, I look good. I feel good. Like it wouldn't matter. But because we can't fit into those jeans, we're like, oh, I hate myself. Yeah. I'm not good enough. Like yeah. I'm not controlled enough. And yeah, I say screw all that. Yeah. So you kind of touched on it before, but there is such a strong, devoted community behind Smash and Tess. And like, I was having FOMO before I bought my first romper because I was like, I just want to be a part of it. Like, <laughs> I just want to be a part of this team. So what do you think is the secret sauce to cultivating a community like that? I think listening is really important. I think, you know, a lot of brands kind of tell people uh, about things. And I think... Not a lot of listening happens. And I listen to everything. I check all of the DMs. I get overviews of what everyone's saying on email. We have reviews. Just lots of dialogue. And I think, like, because of that, people see themselves in the clothes and in the community. And I think having communities where you can be yourself and feel like you see yourself 
in that community and that it's a really positive one is something that I think becomes really just addictive for people. They want to be a part of it. They want to put their energy there. And I think listening to, we had a really interesting thing where last week we put out an email and I saw a ton, ton of shares on Instagram about it. And we basically asked people if they wanted to opt out of mother day, motherhood or mother, Mother's Day uh, emails. Mm-hmm. And when it got across my plate, I said, yeah, let's, let's do that, right? Like, let's, let's let people opt out. Um, but I had no idea the kind of impact it would make. It just further added to my determination to continue to listen because people were like, thank you. This is so thoughtful. I hate Mother's Day. This is why either I've lost a baby, I've lost a pregnancy, I don't have a good relationship with my mom, my mom has passed away, and I didn't even really truly think about it until that's we made that decision and I was like, "Wow, I've learned a big lesson." Wow. And that's never to assume anything, you know, about your community, never to just mm-hmm. like take that for granted and to always just listen and care. Like cuz it meant think about even though it's a small maybe a small percentage of people those people, like, they need to be heard, you know, and sometimes the loudest because they're the ones that are going through the hardest time. So um, it was a really good learning experience for me. That's so inspiring. Wow. It's true. People just want to be heard. And I feel like so much of the marketing out there is like a, it's a blanket marketing approach that doesn't apply to everyone. Yeah. So to be able to like make any size of the population feel like seen and feel like it's a bit customized and tailored to people and their experiences obviously it's it's worked very well for you for a reason and how important of a role has social media played in smash and test's growth from the beginning and even just right now i mean it's huge um it's huge because it it allowed us to build that community and that space for dialogue, like it, that's the thing where we've been coined as saying like S&T's exponential growth is a result of using social media as a listening device instead of a megaphone. Mm. And that part of that is that user generated content and being like, we made this close for people. So like we just share on stories all the time. Like what are people, how are people wearing it? And then what ways are they wearing it? And like, you know, just reinforcing that this is a shared space. Love it. And then we really wanted to ask you this question. So what advice would you have for any future entrepreneurs out there that might have doubts that they have to overcome or imposter syndrome along their way to launching their business? Yeah, I like, you got to put one foot in front of the other. You can get very paralyzed when you're so worried about making things perfect or so worried that you might not have the answers to all of the questions. I think surrounding yourself with a really fantastic network of people that have your back, but also just taking those little steps, like whatever they look like to really creating action. I say it every time, but like people will say, well, what makes a successful entrepreneur? And it's honestly, it's just tenacity. It's just the ability to move forward, you know, no matter what kind of gets thrown your way. Um, nobody's perfect. Nobody has the answers to everything. I, like I said, I don't know how to sew things. I just know what I like and I know what I could imagine to be the perfect thing to wear. And, and I can guarantee you this nine times out of 10, even someone who studied fashion design would say, Oh, I'm not ready. I don't know how to run my own business. I can't create an apparel line. So it's, you know, that's just that negative self-talk. And I honestly think the way to trump that is to just keep putting one foot in front of the other and not being afraid to like make mistakes and then asking questions so that you can avoid as many mistakes as possible is always great. That's what your village is there for. Yeah. You don't need to have all the answers. You just need to have people you can trust and ask and yeah. Yes. And those mistakes, like Like we've made mistakes too with just like launching the podcast and different things that we've tried out, but I wouldn't even look back at them as mistakes now. I'm like, oh, we learned so much from that. Like you almost need to like trip up a little bit to learn and keep pushing forward. And to your point, just have that tenacity to keep going. Yeah. And I think it gets grueling. Like I do get it. I've been there. Like it's, it's hard. You feel like you're constantly screwing up or you don't know which way you're supposed to go, but then you get a little bit of a break and you're like, ah, Yes. And then you evolve on that. You, you let that build like a snowball. And before you know it, 
you're closer to your dreams than you ever thought you would be. So it's it's okay. Like we literally, if someone says that they didn't make mistakes, they're lying because it's impossible. Like we just all make them. Yeah. So it's what makes us stronger and smarter and more resilient. Yeah. And if you don't fuck up, you're probably not trying. Yeah. Like not it's moving. So true. Yeah. That's true. You're playing it too safe. You're playing it safe. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So getting granular for one sec, for anyone listening who has an idea for merchandise or a product line, where's the first place they should start? Like how do they go about getting prototypes or samples and like how how do they begin that journey? Well, it's kind of a convoluted process because it kind of depends on what your strengths are. But if you had an idea, I mean, for us, it was like finding someone that can draw an illustrator and put your your ideas into actual physical. I used to do these horrible drawings. Luckily, I don't do that anymore. But <laughs> um, but like getting someone to put that in, so a great graphic designer, someone with design experience, putting that into like a line shape form. And then from there, you can find sort of smaller houses that will work with you because really what you need is you need to find somewhere that does product development with you. And a lot of times that can be like smaller houses, more boutique houses that are willing to kind of take that on and work through those steps with you because you're going to need tech packs and you need to source your fabric. But I think a lot of it too is like asking the right questions. Like what's readily available? Fabric suppliers. You can kind of Google that and find them, right? So then you go to them and you start to look at fabric and then you just ask them a million questions. What are your favorite production houses? Who do you work with? Who do a lot of the people go to that you know? And that's really what, how we started. It was just that sort of like asking all the questions, asking everyone we knew or met, like who they knew, who they met, like how we can get in connection. And eventually you kind of just feel your way through. It's really the only way to do it. So this might be hard because you've already dropped like 30 fire tips and advice, but if you had to give your top three most important lessons about entrepreneurship that you would share with budding entrepreneurs, what would those three things be? One is definitely, I, I always say, act like you're going to be a big deal. So setting your, this is just a very pragmatic way of looking at it, but like ensuring your books are in order, that you have a brand that can be trademarked properly or hopefully is trademarked. You just have to act like one day you could exp exponentially grow times a thousand because you're going to. And then the other thing I notice a lot is like I've learned, and this is a, a really um, common fear in entrepreneurship, and that's fear itself. And I think people feel very uncomfortable because there's so much unknown and there's so much risk. For me, it's about reframing it. So I always like invite people to kind of reframe that fear as a acknowledgement that like you're evolving and you're growing and it's when you're stagnant that you have no fear and it's like for me my goal in life is to become as much as as the, the coolest smartest person in the world like that's what I want to do I want to be the best version of myself so in that fear is that is really that's a signal that I'm changing and I'm evolving. And so to feel comfortable with that, and it's hard, and I'm not saying I've mastered it by any means. You can ask my husband, um, and he'll attest <laughs> to my 2 a.m. wake-up call Saturday night, mid-morning, night. Um, but it's also something that I think fuels me and is something that, um, if framed like in a, in a more positive way, can actually be a great driving force, you know? So I would say that. Um, and what else? I mean, I feel like I talked about taking one step and like really just that like drive of being like as tenacious as you can be and just realizing that like it's not going to be easy and it's 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 those people that continue every day to wake up and go at it those are the people and I think people especially in fashion oh my gosh I'm guilty of it I think I think but I can't remember but I always thought fashion was so glamorous like beautiful, you know, clothes and like great locations and models and, you know, all this stuff. And I remember like getting into fashion and really it was like carrying boxes, sweating, <laughs> all, so much sweating, like sweating all the time. It's like the best way I can describe it. I just feel like I'm just perpetually, Mercedes and I am, we're like, we're just perpetually sweating. Um, she's on shoot today and I'm like, are you sweating? And I texted her, she's like, I'm sweating. Like it's just so much work and Always like, and, and there's not a lot of glamour. And so you got to really like be committed to it. You've got to know that like, it's not going to be super easy like it's just not mm -hmm. it's going to be really challenging at times but that's that's okay and hopefully the reward is that much sweeter 
Yeah, that like sexy, shiny 1% that the world sees from success is like literally no. just 1% yeah. of it. It's like, and the rest <laughs> of it is yeah. just like digging no, your way. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> totally. The rest is sweat and anxiety spirals yeah. at 2 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> and even as I was That's driving to Hillary Duff's house for the first time, I was so stressed out the entire time. I was like, this is not fun. I mean, now it's fun because <laughs> I she's a great human. But like at the time, I was like, that was even like, supposed to be the most glorious thing ever and I think I showed up like covered in sweat with my mascara like <laughs> dripping down my face and like it was just, like I was terrified yeah it's okay yeah, like, is this sweat oh, wicking yes. or... I would have too <laughs> yes <laughs> I also on the on the fear point I feel like there's such a big fear for entrepreneurs for like meeting resistance and hearing no I know like I'm working on a on a project right now yeah. that's like a big event and I feel like every, not not for like COVID times, but for after COVID times, a big event. And every phone call that we have, every meeting, every chat with potential investors, like we just hear over and over again, this is a really difficult thing to pull off and it might, it probably won't happen, but we're still going, we're still trucking, but the amount of... Oh God, let that be your inspiration because yeah. you're going to be like, I told you yeah. at the end of it and you're like, see... I did it. Yes. yes. Did you get a lot of resistance and no's and just kept like... Oh, yeah, all the time. Yeah. Think about all the dream collaborators we have. I have like millions of people that I like dream of collaborating with and pitch them all the time and they say no. Yeah. And you don't know why. Yeah. It has nothing to do with you. And that's why you have to let it go because you feel like, well, lost that one. But then you win one and you're like, yes. And that keeps you so motivated. <laughs> and But for the amount of no's I've received, like, come on, it's... It's not even close. Like the ratio is, is insane. I hear no all of the time. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to keep pushing. And you kind of touched yeah. on this earlier about how you could have probably left your previous job like a year before you made the jump. But if there's any like specific kind of tactical advice you have for those working nine to fives who also have a, a side hustle going, how can you really hone in on when it is time to quit corporate and go all in? Is it like a financial thing? Oh. Is it just a feeling? Like how how do people navigate that? Well, every I feel like everyone has different like risk thresholds, and I think it's really unique to what feels right for you. And I would never say that there's like a time that's right and a time that's not. It just depends on how much you can stomach. You know, like if you can go out on a, on your own and be in debt, then I say that's the right decision for you. For me, I couldn't have done that. I would have been sick to my stomach. It's just who I am. I mean, I was a teacher for 10 years with like full security and benefits yeah. and pension and everything. So that's clearly not in my nature. So it was like, I had to get to a place where I was like, smash and test can pay me the salary I need to live my life and support my family. And so it, that's what it felt right for me. As soon as I knew it could, it could afford to pay me that, but I didn't leave until 2018. So, I mean, we were doing lots of stuff in 2018 and I was still working full time and mothering. So it just, honestly, it's so dependent on your own comfort level and life has a way of kind of kicking you in the ass and being like, it's go time, yeah. you know? So whenever that is for you, uh, you got to listen. Fair enough. And aside from fear and, and all the other reasons there are for, for backing away from your big dream, a lot of people are deterred from following through with their ideas because they don't have like specific professional background in business or finance or sales or merchandising. Mm. Like I, I know that's held me back from a business that I wanted to start where I'd be offering a service, but I'm like, I don't do sales. I don't really want to do sales. I don't have to go around and shop myself and my ideas around. And it just kind of crippled me from like moving forward. So were there any areas of your business that you were unsure of and didn't have an expertise in? And like, how did you deal with that? Did you, how did you learn or hire accordingly? I mean, all of the things <laughs> I didn't have, I didn't have any experience in anything other than maybe communication, like community, the things that I had built as a skill just from like doing a graduate degree or working in teaching or doing what I did. So, but like apparel, like industry specific, I never started a business before. I didn't know how to do any of that. Again, I think it goes back to just like asking questions. Like you, it's tiring to think of, but looking at your network and being like, oh, my mom's friend, you know, I think she's a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm going to email that person and be like, hey, Maybe I can 
garner a little bit of something to learn from out of that conversation. So it's really like just that's it's the tenacity of being like, I, I, I like, do I have a bunch of money to spend on legal fees? No. Is there a way I can find out the bare minimum of what I need to do to launch a business? Probably, you know, and like, it's just being creative, really creative problem solving and being like, I need this info. How am I going to get it? Who in my network can help me? And also like other entrepreneurs are amazing. Like I come from Vancouver. Vancouver is a hub of incredible entrepreneurs that they got your back and it's funny you're just scared or you're intimidated to ask but as soon as you do it's like this outpouring of like support so I'm very grateful for the friends that I have in in my space I'm very grateful for even the influencer relationships we've built online like these people have been instrumental in in creating my business so you just have to ask for help it's no different than mothering it's like you're a mom it's like how do you do it all you got to ask for help you just got to put your hand up and just say, I need help. It's okay. It doesn't make you any weaker or any less of a mom or a business owner to have to ask for help. Yeah. And I feel like most people are willing to help. Like most good people in your network are likely going to want to help you, especially if it's a skill that they're really good at. They should be. I I think that advice is, is so good. Don't, don't pretend you know all the answers. I feel like outsourcing is also the key to happiness. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Literally. So I love that. So as someone who went into business with their best friend and their mom, what advice do you have for people out there that want to go into business with someone who's really close with them? Like, how do you separate your work relationship from your real life relationship? Even Jill and I struggle with yeah. that. Yeah, that's hard. I mean, even my best friend, like, we talk a lot about business, but the reality is, is like, I also switch it and I'm like, how lucky are we? that I get to talk to my best friend every day and it can be about clothes and this cool thing we're creating together. So I'm like, why do we have to talk about what I ate for breakfast? Like, why can't we talk about (laughs) this cool shit we're creating together? I think that's like the most exciting thing to talk about. So being really like patient with the process and knowing that there are going to be likely issues that arise, especially if you become more successful because you've got to find your place and you've got to find like that rhythm. And I think it's literally this raw honesty that is a beautiful place to be. And if you can respect each other and know that you guys are going to have each other's back when shit really gets hard, then that's all that matters. You know, you'll get through. That's great advice. We've had to do the friend chat thing too, where we're like, okay, I'm calling you. This is not about the podcast or about work. I just need some friend time. And then we'll like... We just flag that because we have to. Otherwise, we never make that time. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you're creating it's something you love together, it's consuming. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all consuming. It's no different than when you go out for dinner with your husband or your partner or whoever, and you're like made a point of being like, this is our night. You know, we're going to not be with the kids. But then it's like you talk about the kids the whole time <laughs> because you love them. It matters to us a lot. So yeah, it consumes us, but it's super fun, you know? And even when it's not fun, at least we can commiserate and be like, this thing sucked. Yeah, true. Yeah. That's true. Way better. You'll get to a place where it's just like, okay, we're, we've risen above all the bullshit and we can actually just <laughs> Bask talk to it. each other really, like we're sisters. Yeah. So as two workaholics, we would love to know what you do to avoid burnout and just prioritize having balance as, you know, a CEO, a mom, a daughter, a wife, a best friend, and everything else that you're doing under the sun. I don't have a secret <laughs> sauce because I don't honestly feel super balanced in this moment. I think I'm learning for me what I can let go of. And I think I'm in a more of a privileged role in that I've, you know, Smash and Test has grown to what it's grown to and I'm able to hire But I think that's been a lot, that's been really hard for me because with our second this year and then the pandemic and then the business is really growing, it's been really hard. And I think I see the light at the end of the tunnel right now because I'm hiring a killer executive team and I'm like so excited about it because I know that they're going to level us up. We're going to level up to like that. And so I will be able to work less in the weeds and like more on the business and that's my goal. And I think at that point, I will achieve better balance. It goes back to like, what team are you building? Like, who do you have around you? It goes the same for my family. It's like, what do I need? Mm-hmm. Do I need someone sometimes to help me on the weekends? Because I'm so exhausted that even if I can have three hours in the morning to like lay in bed and do nothing, maybe that's what I need this weekend. I just need help. 
So I think it's just about being honest. And again, it's really just about help. It's like, I think we all think we have to shoulder this ourselves. We have to bear this brunt. And it's like, you're not proving anything to anybody. Mm -hmm. You're just burning yourself out. So it's like, it's okay. And you know, you know how hard you work. You know how good of a mom you are. And if you need to take a break, you need to take a break because that's what's best for everybody anyways. I have a quick follow-up question for you. So you said you're hiring an executive team. Is there a part of you, maybe you're over it now because you're hiring them, but were you ever just nervous to like take a step back out of the weeds of the business? That must be a hard decision. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot of trust. I'm learning that too is like, you know, why should you, someone have your trust right away? Like this is something you built like from the ground up with everything that you had. So what I'm noticing is the more trustworthy people I bring into the circle, the more I'm slowly able to back away and like I don't know I don't know what that says about me as a leader but that's just the truth it's like I have to feel like I'm 100% aligned with this person that they understand the values of this business that they are making decisions like it's their own and once I get to that place it's like the best place and like that's how we've really built the team at Smash and Test and that's how we're building the executive team it's like you know the bigger and bigger this thing gets the more I'm like I just need to know that everyone in our team is 100% aligned with what we set out to do and that we're never going to waver when it matters. And as long as I know that and you care as much as I care, you know, then I can let go. And so it's been a process for sure, but it's actually one that I'm super freaking excited about. That's great advice. So you mentioned earlier that one of the catalysts to you guys kind of blowing up, especially with the romper, was when Jillian Harris wore it and posted about it. So was that, did she, first of all, first question, did she like stumble upon you guys and buy it? Did you send it to her? How did that come to fruition? We sent it to her and I always loved to bug Mercedes because she was like, no, we can't send it because we had sent Jill a, um, a robe. It was one of her first robes and she never wore it and never talked about it. So then Mercedes, we were like, we're going to send her the romper. And she's like, no, we're not sending her the romper. She didn't wear it the first. She's not going to wear it this time and that thing cost us whatever amount of dollars to make. And like, because when you're starting, it's really hard to give away product for free. Mm-hmm. Like that do- every dollar yeah. matters. So you're like, can't just give that away. That's the thing with Jill, though. That's why she moves the needle because she doesn't talk about anything she doesn't really love. Mm-hmm. Like she doesn't. So she's even her paid partnerships. She does paid partnerships with people she would probably support anyway. And she didn't have a whole team. She probably would do it for free. Yeah, because that's just who she is. But I think for us that was hugely pivotal. And I think we realized early on in the game we were going to have to gift um, if we wanted to see. But the, the game's changed, right? Like, I mean, that was 2016. So yeah. it's changed. Influencers have a whole new game. They have a whole new career. People, like, it just wasn't the same. Just different, you know? Yeah. Okay, so let's talk more about, like, the collabs that you've done. Because you guys have done such amazing, successful collabs with Hilary Duff, who's Kaylin's like favorite in the world, and Sarah from Birds Papaya, I love, and obviously Jill. Oh, she's the best. The best. So what was your strategy behind these collabs, like from choosing them and like nailing them down and getting their agreements? Like, how did you land these amazing partnerships? Actually, Jill's team and I and I were just talking last week about how we really like created the influencer like agreement together because we didn't really know what that would look like. How do you do a collab? What the agreement would look like? It was really like an organic thing. And so that started with Jillian and we knew from the beginning, we were like, we so much as like internally work collaboratively. Like I love a team decision. I very, very, very rarely would make a unilateral like decision that really doesn't happen. It's that, you know, we pay people for a reason. We want their voice at the table. Otherwise, what is the point? So, and I think when it comes to collaborations, it felt totally at heart with what we stand for and what we do already. So we, that's a huge part of our business model is like creating those, you know, relationships. But Sarah and I, I mean, we became friends. I think she had 70,000 followers and Smash and Test partnered with her. I remember being like, oh, hopefully this giveaway pushes you over 100,000, which it did. <laughs> and so to go from like, you know, 70,000, what, what is she at now? Like almost 2 million followers? 2 million. Or something. 2 million. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. So again, formed in true connection and friendship. Same with Jill. She really loved our stuff and she really wanted to support us. And she wore it all the time. And we watch, right? Like we always watch with, with Hillary. I would be like, she's wearing our rompers again. She's wearing the romper. I would just all, all the time on stories, I'm like, she's wearing it again. Like, she 
loved it. And I will say this, we gave a pitch and she turned it down first time and didn't really cite much reasoning, but we got turned down. Did the pitch the second time and we we're like, Hillary, you have to do this. You're an ultimate fashion test girl. You've got like, we need to see you rocking your romper. You need to design a romper because she's super real and she's a mom and we're just really well aligned and I knew it felt like the right fit. So, you know, it's just about, it's, again, it's that resiliency. It's like, well, you said no, but it's okay. I'm going to ask again and again and again. And, and sure enough, you know, we were connected. And the best part about Hill was that when we, I never met her, but then the first meeting we ever had was like, hey, Ashley, um, you know, Hill would love to meet with you. Do you want to come over to her house? And I remember being like, like to her, like her house? Like, I was like, like where I she lives? Go to her house. <laughs> and we're in the middle of the pandemic. And I was like, okay, yeah, okay. It's just like, yeah, backyard, um, you know, come around. And so that was how I met her. And it's funny, like no pretense, just like she wanted to create. And at the end of the day, it was just like a couple of people like creating cool clothes together. And she had a pretty clear idea of what she wanted but she also was so like, what do you think? Like, this is your industry. Like, what do you, so we worked together and that's the collect, the collection we came up with. And it was multiple meetings at her house. Lots of, and I mean, FaceTiming me on launch day. She was so excited. She was like, oh, I was like, guys, you're FaceTiming and checking in and like making sure it was going well. So you can find those like gems, you know, of people, of humans that like are there for the right reason. And when it is that way, it feels so good. So I think, you have to learn how to say no to the things that don't feel like they're clicking. You need to look for the values-based like friendship and relationship. Like, mm -hmm. how do they align with what you set out to do? Do they align? I've said no to things that, you know, on paper looked really good, but I just felt wrong, yeah. you know? And I was like, mm, no. And it was hard because you're like, oh, could I sell, you know, a thousand rompers? I probably could, but like... Is it worth it? No. So you have to listen to that inner compass and be like, what like what feels right for the brand? And I think in our case, we have just been so lucky um, to have friends and collaborators where I'm just like, it was just, it was just all such a great experience. Honestly, it's, it's been um, magical. That's so amazing. And such good fits. So our last question is one that we always love to ask our guests, and that is, what is one thing that you wish you had been taught in school? Oh, as much as I would have hated it, I wish I was taught more accounting and finance. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing where I'm like, cool, algebra, sweet. Was it helpful? No. no. And I think it's changed now. But like, I would have loved for someone to talk to me about taxes and like yeah. how to like just accounting like something that's actually yeah. really useful for me would have been fantastic yeah oh <laughs> man I hear that yeah so tell everybody where they can find you and follow you and just consume all of your amazing wisdom and just lovely energy smash test is our handle at smash test on all of our social media at a freeborn is my personal if you want to come along a little bit less curated a little bit more of like me and my husband being ridiculous on Instagram stories so that's my personal one and then of course our website in Canada smashtest.ca and then globally smashtest.com amazing thank you so much for this chat it was thank so you. so great so much. thank you I had so much fun there you have it friends we hope this episode inspires you to pursue that side hustle and smash and test huh, all of your biz ideas and goals We'll leave you with a quote from the legendary Julie Andrews. Perseverance is failing 19 times and succeeding the 20th. That's what she said. So there you have it, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard today, it would mean the world to us if you would subscribe and leave a comment or a rating. And we'd love it if you would share this with your friends by screenshotting the episode and sharing it on social by tagging at Teach Me How to Adult Podcast and DM us with any topics or guests you'd like to hear on the show. See you next time. Bye. Bye.